Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Brian Joyner of BP Boston, and also today our special guest is Matt Collins of Over the Monster. You can find these two gentlemen on Twitter at, at Brian Joyner and Matt R.Y. Collins. Guys, how are we doing today? Wonderful. I'm great, and Jake, given what you're about to say, you you don't have to say I'm from BP Boston exclusively anymore. I do not. I do not have to say that because these two gentlemen and I are about to embark on a new journey for this, uh, the Red Seat Podcast. So uh, if you have been listening to the Red Seat Podcast, I want to let you all know that we are moving the podcast. Yes, we are keeping this crew together, though. Matt Collins, who was on the first season. We are keeping Brian Joyner, who has been on both seasons, and myself, and we are moving the podcast from BP Boston to the SB Nation site over the monster. We are going to be coming to you weekly during the season, and it's going to be the three of us as the core group. Uh, So we're going to be together and hopefully develop a little bit of continuity there. Uh, We will still have guests on, and uh, you will still be able to hopefully access all of our old episodes as we are moving the archives over as well. So hopefully nothing will change for you guys except for uh, where the actual um, podcast is located now, but we're going to try and make it so uh, nothing changes as far as your subscription goes. So you'll still get the exact same podcast and and all that good stuff. So um, yeah, we've got the crew back together. We haven't had Matt Collins on this show since... He went over to take over over the monster as the uh, managing editor over there. So we have a lot to talk about here, and uh, we hope that everybody who listens to this show and all of you guys out there have made this possible, uh, that you will stick with us through the transition. So hopefully that wasn't too long-winded. No, I mean, and it's still on the internet. It's really in the same place. Exactly, exactly. Um, so with that, the Red Sox have been active uh, so far this offseason. No big acquisitions so far, but I want to talk about the first real uh, news that has happened with the team. The Red Sox decided to protect three players uh, ahead of Monday's 8 p.m. deadline, uh, adding them to the 40-man roster. Uh, the three players that they chose to protect were Jalen Beeks, Chandler Shepard, and Ty Buttry. Um, I think these are the guys that we sort of expected them to. Uh, Matt, I want to go to you first on this. You wrote an article about this uh, the day that they protected these players, and you actually did predict that these three guys would be the ones protected. Uh, why was this the logical choice? Uh, well, they really are the only three that have any real chance of sticking in the majors this year. Um, I think the only question was going to be whether or not they'd keep a spot open either to make the offseason a little bit easier when they start adding players or maybe even to pick somebody in the draft. But uh, the only other real guy who I think might have a shot at getting taken at some point in the draft would be uh, Jake Kosart. And even he, I think, probably would be back with the organization by the time the season starts. So none of these guys are super exciting, but they have a chance to be major leaguers this year. So uh, they were the only real options. Any thoughts on these guys, Brian? I cannot believe that Jalen Beeks is white. That's my thought. Um, I, and, and his name uh, is very uh, reminiscent of, of Mookie Betts. It's, it's a great baseball name. That's the entirety of my exposure to them. So 
probably want to stick with Matt's opinion on this one. All right. So to, so to give everybody just a little bit of overview of some of these guys, uh, Jalen Beeks performed pretty well last year as a starter uh, in, in AA and made it up to AAA last year. Uh, Chandler Shepard has uh, been a pretty good reliever uh, for the team in AAA uh, as well as he came up to the majors last year. And interestingly enough, Chandler Shepard has been pitching as a starter uh, in the Mexican League this winter. Uh, Ty Buttry was one of the guys that the Red Sox sent to the AFL, and uh, he's got a huge fastball, but does tend to have some control issues. Uh, does that about sum these guys up, Matt? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I think Beeks is the guy, uh, if we're looking at somebody at the Major League Future, I think he's the most likely. Um, he He used to have a really violent delivery, and he's a really small guy, so it seemed like he was destined for the bullpen, but... He came back this year, and his delivery is a lot cleaner. Um, I think a lot of people still think he's going to the bullpen, but, I mean, I saw him a few times in Portland this year, and he, I think he's going to be a starter. I don't think he's an ace or anything, but I think he could be a number four or five starter in the majors at some point in the next couple of years. Uh, Shepard and Buttery, I think, are just fringe relievers. What do you make of the fact that they tried to stretch Chandler Shepard out this winter? Yeah, I don't really understand it. Um, I guess I kind of speculated that he's not really good enough to be a back-end reliever, so he kind of needs something to separate himself. So if he can be a guy that can go two and three innings every time he goes, maybe that's why they're doing it. I can't really imagine that they're going to keep him as a starter very long, though. Yeah, grooming him as a long man is a little bit of an odd thing to do. What about Ty Buttry, though? He, he's kind of the most interesting one of these guys. That third spot was, whenever you looked at people's lists, kind of forecasting who they were going to protect, that third spot was the one that was kind of always up for grabs. Um, I thought it would be Buttry as well, just because of the pure stuff. He does look like the guy, uh, the type of guy who could be a sixth or a seventh inning uh, reliever if everything breaks right for him and he gets that control kind of uh, corralled a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's... It's kind of a big if, but he does have a big fastball. Um, he was a fairly uh, well-thought-of starter when they drafted him out of high school. Obviously, that didn't work out. So he has some pedigree. The fastball can get to triple digits uh, every once in a while. So he's interesting enough to take a chance on, but I'm not too sold on it. So taking a look at this 40-man now, there are not any really obvious spots as to guys that they would – uh, get rid of if they did uh, end up signing somebody in the offseason. But but one spot I could kind of think of right off the bat that they might look at uh, is is that spot that Henry Owens now occupies. What do you make of him still being on the roster at this point? Uh, well, there's no there's no point in getting, getting rid of him until you absolutely have to. So, um, I mean, I've pretty much lost all faith in him, but it's if they do keep him around, I think it might be worth it just to see if he can do something in the bullpen, maybe shorter outings. He can get that control um, in check just a little bit, but yeah, he's probably the first, first or second to go if they do need a spot. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, you know, lefties live forever, so he will continue to get uh, chances, but you know, not optimistic about Henry Owens at this point. So I guess the bigger news is uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you have just seen nothing but 
ideas for the Red Sox in their offseason this year by me. Uh, probably annoyingly so. I seem to gain and lose three followers a day based off of uh, the stuff that I tweet. So, um, you know, it it is what it is. But so far we've had no activity for the Red Sox. Uh, GM meetings came and went. Uh, usually those aren't, you know, something where a big splash gets made. But we are sort of on the cusp of the winter meetings, uh, which are taking place December 10th and 14th through the 14th uh, in Orlando. Um, I think, guys, that the first domino to go seems like it's going to be Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, things started to kind of heat up in the last couple of days when there were reports that the Giants and the Cardinals had made official offers and potentially the Red Sox had made an official offer. Uh, the Giants offer was actually leaked and no one knows whether or not that's, you know, legit that what was leaked is uh, the real package, but the package that was leaked wasn't all that impressive. So when I saw that, it kind of gave me hope that, man, Dombrowski can definitely match this package. And if Dombrowski can match it or better it, I started to think that Stanton is probably going to be wearing a Red Sox uniform. What was your both of your guys' reactions to that? I'll go to Brian Joyner first and then to Matt. I I wouldn't say that I think that it's likely. I mean, maybe there's a plurality of likelihood, um, but I still think it's more likely than not that he's not on the Red Sox. And I think the leak game is very difficult to, to play. Uh, what I've always said is that this type of trade is, a, is the best thing that Dombrowski is. Uh, is is the thing that Dombrowski is the best at. When there's someone to go get, he is able to go get them at prices that at the time and retrospectively look pretty good. So in theory, it's a good situation. Having a an open process for the uh, reigning MVP is a little bit um, more difficult in that it doesn't probably offer a lot of room to be savvy in there. However, if the Red Sox get it done, uh, I think it, 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 I think whatever deal the Red Sox would do would obviously be good enough for them that we as fans would be okay with it because Given the, I think there, are, you know, the Red Sox being a top tier team, and there being a few names out there, they don't need to fixate on one. So it, I'm less. Part of the reason I'm less involved in this in the day to day, or in your case, five minutes to five minutes on Twitter, <laughs> is that uh, I trust them not to do a Sandoval type um, misfire with the guys who are available a because the guys are good B because it's not the same people making the deal and they're making the deals for different reasons and C because and this relates back to a and B they're, they're dealing they're gonna get good players no matter what I'm not as confident but I'm confident if they do get them it wouldn't bankrupt the team Matt what do you think 
Well, I think you do make a good point about Dabrowski being really good at this. Um, if there's one guy I have faith in making this kind of blockbuster, it's him. But this one is a little bit different just because of the no trade clause. And I just have no idea if Stanton wants to come here or not. Um, this is pure speculation, but there's just been so many National League teams connected to him. I kind of get the feeling that he really wants to play the field. And the best way to guarantee that he can do that is to say he wants to go to a National League team. He also really wants to play on the West Coast. The Red Sox, of course, do not play on the West Coast. So, I don't know. I don't want to say I don't want him because if the Red Sox trade for Giancarlo Stanton, I'm obviously going to be psyched. First time he hits a home run, it's going to be awesome. But it just this whole situation just scares the crap out of me, and I just want it to be over. Um, that contract, his injury history, and if they have to give up someone like Benintendi or Devers, then um, all the way out. Anything other than that, I'll listen, but it's just scary. I'd rather just spend money on J.D. Martinez or go small this offseason than worry about the Stanton thing for a, a few weeks. So the, the Stanton thing is nerve-wracking, and I, I think you make a good point about uh, the no-trade clause being really interesting because um, conceivably Stanton could just say no to the Red Sox even if they have the best offer and say no to the Giants because he wants to go to the Dodgers and they might be forced to take whatever the Dodgers are offering because it seems like um, the Marlins have sort of spoiled their best asset in the fact that everybody kind of knows that the Marlins are going to trade him this offseason. So I think that that's a big reason why the packages that were leaked out and like Brian said, we don't really know whether they're legit or not, but why they were smaller. I mean, everybody knows they don't, they just don't have the leverage that they might otherwise have. They're not going to keep them. This ownership group is, it seems like it's very money conscious and that he is going to move. So when you talk about guys like Ben Benintendi or Devers being involved in the deal, which is what a lot of people said in the beginning, I'm with you. I am totally out on that. But if you tell me that this deal gets made centered around JBJ and Chavis or, uh, you know, Eddie Rodriguez and Jason Grom or something like that, I am all the way the hell in, especially if they can take any money uh, in this deal, even if it's like $5 million that they float. So um, I think it's interesting, and I think that he's he probably – if you can if you can center that deal around JBJ, this is probably the best move that the Red Sox could make this offseason, better than everybody else who's out there right now. Yeah, I think that's wishful thinking. <laughs> I mean, it is Giancarlo Stanton. Um, so saying they're dealing from a position of weakness is, I guess it's true relative to the best possible position that they could be in. But with a lot of potential suitors, it's not that weak. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is why I don't know if like a deal centered around JBJ is ultimately going to get it done. And I think it might be – I wouldn't get your hopes up, Jake. It really depends on how many teams Stanton is willing to go to. Because if he's willing to go to just about any of the teams that have been rumored about him, then – there's going to be enough competition where it doesn't matter how much leverage the Marlins have because all these teams want him. Somebody's going to have to give up a lot. So it's the ball's really in his court right now. Have there been any Yankees rumors now that, you know, 
Derek Jeter owns the Marlins? Uh, I don't think nothing substantial. I've seen a few people float it, but I don't think it's super likely. I think they're waiting for next year for Harper and Machado. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I'm just after a Rod. Never put anything past them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see this thing probably happening, but I think it's really interesting. Um, and I don't know. I'm kind of just watching it uh, eagerly rather than uh, than getting my hopes up too much because there's so oh, no, many we other see, good Oh, no, we see on Twitter how eager you are. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I was going to say I'm very impressed because I'm the exact opposite. And that's why our, our conversations are good. But that you really on it just a very granular level are very invested. Um, so I, I don't think I've tweeted that much about the Stanton thing, though. I tweet a lot more about Jose Abreu than I do Stanton because I think that that move makes a lot more sense. I'm going back months, though. You've tweeted about Stanton for months. That's so true. But if that's not just a re- that's not just like a last three weeks thing. But at first, though, when I thought the cost was going to be really prohibitive, I was totally anti-Stanton. But now that I have this semblance of hope, which you know you're telling me might be false hope, that this package can get done without altering the core of the group, yeah, I I kind of like it a little bit more. But but I want to talk about Jose Abreu for a second too, because that's another one of these names that is certainly going to be available this offseason and I think makes a lot of sense for this team because what I've talked about at length on this podcast and in in articles and things like that uh, is that the next two years for this Red Sox team are the most important of this run right now uh, because it's when they have pretty much everybody signed 2018-2019. Abreu fits really nicely into that window because he is signed for both of those two years as well. He plays for a team that is going nowhere and has really not a lot of reason to not trade him. Um, so if they can get a good package over there uh, for Abreu, he certainly would come in and solve a lot of their issues and be some right-handed power that they can play at first base, and that'd be a huge upgrade. Um, what do you guys think about Abreu? Do you think that that makes more sense than the Stanton thing, or you know, is it something that either of you would be interested in? I'd be interested, and I think it makes sense, but I don't really think the Red Sox have the pieces. I think this is where they really miss having depth at the top of their farm system because they have Benintendi Endeavors, who they don't want to deal, and then they have Groom and Chavis, who aren't good enough to get a guy like Abreu, and there's really nothing in between. So I don't really think they have that kind of deal to offer. What do you think, Joyner? I agree with Matt. Uh, no, I, 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 I don't. I do. I do agree with Matt, and I don't know what to add. I do think that there's a decent argument to be made in the abstract that whatever deal you could pull for Abreu is definitely going to be a lower relative cost than the one for Stanton. Um, now, it might not end up being that way. But Stanton has everything going his way for an overpay, which I know you said that's what you were specifically trying to avoid. Um, But it's the Red Sox could use anyone who could hit. Now, we will get to this. I don't think they need as much hitting help as maybe you suspect. But 
every team could use Jose Abreu. So if they could pull off a deal, I mean, I think that Devers and Benintendi are, I mean, are just so clearly not going anywhere at this point that, uh, there's no reason to worry about it. At least I don't worry about it. Uh, Jake, do you worry about them being traded? I do not. Uh, I don't even think that that's it would just Dev- I th- Honestly, I think it would be Devers at this point. I think that it's sort of beyond uh, comprehension that Ben Intendi would be traded. I, I would put it at like a 1% chance either one's traded at this point. I got to be honest, though. I'm starting to get a little bit more nervous that the guy who might be traded, who I really don't want to see traded, is Xander Bogarts. I wonder how Dombrowski's patience level with him as a player uh, is right now. And I just, I have this like bad sinking feeling in my stomach that Xander Bogarts could end up being a casualty of this winter. I don't know if you guys are getting that same feeling. Strong disagree. Yeah, I definitely don't feel that way. I I hope you're right. I think if we know that the potential causes behind his uh, slump last year, the team knows that too. Um, and you couldn't, the only, the only type of player you would trade Xander Bogarts for is the same exact type of player. So, um, I think you don't need to worry about that. I think, I think, I think they're fine. Well, I hope so. It's, it's just, uh, I, I, I think it's just the defensive profile that, I get a little bit worried about because I Dave Dombrowski just strikes me as the type of guy who really likes a strong defender at shortstop, and he you know traded for Jose Iglesias, stuff like that. So I just get a little bit worried that Xander Bogarts, if he's not doing what we kind of thought he could do with the bat, is also not doing it defensively. And I still think that he's going to be one of those guys that ends up having, you know, several more uh, All-Star caliber years, and hopefully you know, years that far, far and away eclipse what he even was able to do in 2016. I think that's still in there. And I, I'm really optimistic about him working with the new hitting coach who can hopefully get him to loft the ball a little bit more. But I do worry that, you know, if, if, uh, if the Marlins ask for him as a centerpiece to the uh, Santana trade, that that could be something that Dombrowski could do, especially with a guy like Cozart available on the, uh, the free agent market. That was a nice Freudian slip when you called it a Santana trade for the Marlins. <laughs> oh, yes. No, that would that would be bananas, and I don't I don't see Dombrowski doing that. He's not really a panicker in my eyes, not in that sense. He's he's a panicker sometimes in acquiring a big name, but he's not really the guy who trades away a player after one rough season. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. Um, but. I do think you guys are nuts about this Abreu thing. I think that if the Red Sox called up uh, Chicago and offered a package of, say, Chavis, Grom, and uh, Blake Swihart for Abreu, two years of Abreu on a team that's going nowhere, uh, I think they take that in a heartbeat. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really looked at how many teams need a first baseman, but I feel like they could probably beat that. Uh, I don't disagree in theory. Um Though, I think it goes without saying, though I'll say it anyway, that your opinion of the value of Blake Swihart. Yeah, I don't think Swihart has very much value at this point. Matt, you can't say that to him. <laughs> I just did. 
You, you really shouldn't. I am, I'm currently wearing a Blake Swihart jersey. Oh my! Wait, a jersey or a jersey? Uh, I'm actually wearing Blake Swihart's clothes right now. <laughs> okay. I see. I see. Uh, all right. So let's move on. Uh, we've talked about two of the big trade targets uh, potentially, but Matt, you have been driving the very reasonable train. Uh, this off season of signing uh, a guy who Fangraphs calls the best uh, value of the off season, and I think that that's probably accurate in Carlos Santana. Uh, he's a guy who's getting a little bit older. His power is certainly waning. His plate discipline uh, is not. He's not sort of this huge, big splash of a bat, but he's someone who's going to be productive and uh, a good defender at first base. And uh, probably can be had for a three-year deal. So, um, tell us why the Red Sox need him. Uh, well, okay. First of all, they don't need him. He's just, I think, the most reasonable option. Um, he's, let me see. He has, they're predicting he's going to get, I think, three years, three years, 45 million. And he's a guy who... He'll put up an ISO around 200, uh, about 25 home runs a year. He's going to strike out maybe 14, 15% of the time. He'll walk about 14, 15% of the time. He's going to play good defense at first base. And I mean, that's that's the kind of profile that I think, even though he's on the older side, I think that will stay productive for a three- or four-year contract. Um, with any of these free agents, it's not really the money that I'm worried about but the years and having these handler mirror situations where you're looking at the last couple of years of the contract and maybe a little bit scared. I don't think that'll be the case with Santana. Um, I'd certainly be more excited if they signed somebody like JD Martinez, but I think if they're being smart, Santana would slot perfectly into first base. They could just put Hanley at DH and then kind of call it an off season there, at least from the lineup. Um, I don't think it would get the fans excited, but I think the lineup would be a lot better off for that. Yeah, I think you, it, the lineup would be a lot better off with Santana too. And especially the more that I think about it, if they do go out and sign one of the free agent first basemen, I would so much rather have Santana than Eric Hosmer, who I think is probably going to get at least double uh, the contract that you just mentioned. Uh, wait, Santana wait, wait, wait. Time out. Time out. Yes. Time out. I'm cutting you off. Isn't this the exact opposite of what you said to me last month? Weren't you very in on Hosmer and out on Santana? I was not in on Hosmer. I told you that Dave Dombrowski loves Hosmer. I know that he loves Hosmer, and I know that he probably wants to really pay Hosmer. You know that he's a Dombo guy. You know, there's tape on this, so I'm going to go listen to it because I think you were in on Hosmer and out <laughs> on Santana. I wasn't in on Hosmer. I told you Because I was Dave in on Santana. Him. I was in on Santana, and you changed my mind. I did tell and... you that Santana's not that good and that he's slipping. So I do believe no. well, I do no, believe no. that these guys are going in different directions. He, well, he, I mean, my my opinion then and my opinion now are the same thing, and that, is that Santana would be sufficient because I think that with another year of growth, especially for Benintendi endeavors, um, with health, with a healthier Xander and a competent Mookie, hopefully, I don't know how much offense you need to add to this team for it to be, you know, passable at least and decent, 
a step up from that next year. And at least with Santana, there is no question about what you're getting. I mean, the floor is high. Yeah, I agree. Even, even as he declines, the floor is high. I guess, though, I mean, Hosmer's coming off his best season, right? He just put up a weighted runs created plus of 135. Um, I don't particularly think he's going to do that again because he had a 351 Babbitt. But couldn't you see a couple more of these four-plus win seasons coming from Hosmer while we see maybe two, two-and-a-half win seasons from from Carlos Santana? So I think in a bubble, I'd prefer— Yeah, but you're also getting a couple of replacement-level seasons from Hosmer in the same stretch, and you're getting— all two and a half, three win seasons from Santana. So I'll take the consistency over Hosmer being a roller coaster. Also, that facial hair and the mohawk. <laughs> Honestly, you got, you got to live with that shit, man. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm definitely not going to be the one defending Hosmer here. I think the good things about him, like the good things about Carlos Santana, is both of these guys stay on the field, um, which is really nice. Uh, especially if you're going to sign somebody who, who is going to be a big part of your lineup. You want them to be durable. Uh, but I have historically uh, been an anti-Hosmer guy, so I'm not going to sit here and defend him, and I don't want to pay him $100 million. But I do think oh, it's that— It's going to be a uh, lot more than 100 ugh, I hope not. But at 6'4", 225, he is a prototypical first baseman. He's a lefty bat with some pop and— uh, everybody loves his his uh, his leadership. This is what I was telling you, Joiner. I mean, this, this guy played over Paul Goldschmidt in the World Baseball Classic. That is fucking dumb. It's been like this forever. He was on the uh, 2012 Olympic team. I mean, which is which was just crazy. Uh, and I think he was on the most recent one too. He's just the. For what it's worth, the people in baseball have always loved him. He's like a combination of the um, – like the – for lack of a better term, the pre-Moneyball ideal uh, with some actual skill. Like he has just enough actual skill, just, just enough like presence and physicality that he is treated like a superstar. And I – put up a great season last year and he's in his prime uh but screw him he's a that's, very good looking wife i mean if he didn't that would be problematic uh <laughs> not problematic not problematic it would actually be charming as hell but it's not surprising do you, do you guys know what i'm talking about though there was just like this benefit that he attended and there was like all these photos of him and his wife dressed up. She's for the them. one who works. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Casey McDonald or something. She works for Nesson. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's why right. everybody's saying that he's coming to the Red Sox because of that. And I like half-heartedly believe it. So it's it's kind of scaring me. That is that is a type of thing that I would have um, blown off like a, ten years ago. I would have been like, oh, but now that. Now that I just have time to, I guess, watch it and, I don't know, maybe understand better. That's not a terrible thing that wasn't – didn't that happen with – was it Lackey when he came because his kid was sick and there was really good uh, medical coverage? I know what you're talking about. I remember who it was. But, yeah, I mean, these are people. It would make sense for Hosmer to want to be close to his girlfriend. I wouldn't really begrudge him for it, but – 
I don't want him on the Red Sox. So. Yeah, well, I mean, will you know the Red Sox also? It's not like if your girlfriend is in the area, you get to stay on them, as as Middlebrooks knows. But that's let yeah. let's move on. He did get Jenny Dell as well, a parting gift. No, no, no. But that my point was that he was shipped out of town. She was still there. She, you know. Anyhow. All right, we can move on from this. All right. So, J.D. Martinez, guys. J.D. Martinez is the name that everybody had been talking about. Basically, since the the Red Sox season ended, everybody was saying, J.D. Martinez is the bat that the Red Sox need. Makes too much sense. Since he's kind of the biggest bopper on the, uh, the market right now. But as time has gone on this offseason, I feel like we've quietly been hearing less and less about J.D. Martinez. And part of that might be the $200 million plus tag that uh, Scott Boris has attached to J.D. Kong um, in his 45 home runs. But part of that also, I think, might be people realizing that a poor outfielder and uh, potential D.H. player uh, might not age uh, how this team wants um, at the money that he's going to demand this offseason. So I'm wondering... Do you think that the Red Sox are maybe not as in on the obvious guy, J.D. Martinez, as we kind of thought they were going to be? No, nah, they're definitely in on him. I mean, they would be insane not to be. I don't care if he can't play the field. He's a D.H., whatever. The, guy the Red Sox were made matches. for a player who can't play the field yeah. and can only D.H. and is right-handed. Like We already that... have one of those. His name is Hanley fucking Ramirez. Yeah, he yes. can play this space. He's fine. Yeah, he's fine at first base. Uh, I don't know, man. There's no way that they're going to actually keep Hanley Ramirez and sign J.D. Martinez. How how could that be a thing? Pretty easily. Either they trade Bradley and put Martinez in left field, or Ramirez is... I mean, it was only two years ago that Ramirez played first base pretty much every day. He was really he was bad fine. at it, though. I don't think he was that bad. He, was. he wasn't he was great. Pat, no, he was passable. Yeah, no, he, was he wasn't. I'm gonna look up his metrics right now. I'm oh, fairly I don't care about. I don't care about a single season first base defensive metrics. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that Matt probably touched on something that. Also, he's not getting too much right, right when you said it, seemed a lot more likely than, like being able to trade JBJ up for something. JBJ has. I mean, he's always seemed like the most tradable guy. And on top of that, I think the most likely scenario is not trading him up. It's acquiring bigger pieces and trading him for to backfill the small pieces because he's the guy who's expendable with the bigger pieces. That just that seems more likely to me in the abstract than yeah. trading so, him for. That's always kind of been my idea. I mean, it's, I don't really want to do it. I'd rather put Martinez at DH, but, I mean, they're obviously not trading Betts or Benintendi, so trade Bradley for bullpen help, prospects, whatever. Move Benintendi over to center, put Martinez in left. I well, would hate to see Bradley, Bradley go. But... What was going on with the Bradley for belt rumors? Because that... That wasn't really a rumor. The Giants were interested, and then people just kind of connected the dots with belts. I don't know. I mean, that makes a... That it does make a lot of sense. Of sense. Yes. Hey, that was one of my tweets, Brian. Yeah, I follow <laughs> you for a reason. I like the thing. <laughs> no, but that does make a lot of sense, though. If you do sign JD, trade JBJ for Belt, put Belt at first base, keep Hanley at DH, 
and uh, you know play play uh, JD in left field. I think that that would be that would be something that'd be okay. I mean, you can hide people in left field at Fenway. Manny Ramirez played it passively for what eight years. I'm glad you think it would be okay if they signed JD Martinez and traded for Brandon Bell. I'm I'm glad that that has your seal of approval. Whatever. All I'm thinking about is Manny Ramirez outfield assists right now. And no, I'm also, not thinking every, assists. Okay. Everybody's freaking out about the uh, $200 million asking price or whatever. Um, and this happens literally every offseason. The biggest free agent always asks for like $50 million more than he ends up getting. So Martino's will get about $150 million and it'll be a pretty decent amount of money, but nothing crazy, and we'll all move on with our lives. And how many years are we talking for this $200 million? For the $200 million, they're probably asking for like seven years. He'll probably get like six. Yeah. Jim Bowden's not doing uh, free agent predictions anymore. It's throwing me all off. So if he gets six years, that'll put him at his age 36 season when he expires with the Red Sox. Um, this is a guy who's going to have limited value in the field. Um, he projects next year as somewhere around a two-and-a-half to a three-war player. I mean, that's not great value. Do you know who didn't have a value in the field and was pretty good for the Boston Red Sox? Manny Ramirez? That's not who I was going to say, my friend. Maybe David Ortiz? That was the one I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, you don't, you don't really look at war for somebody like Martinez. You look at WRC+, feel... plus, the dude's just going to mash. Yeah, you. I also think that that's a case where you look at, like, we're a top-shelf team. We can afford luxury items. And it's just like, just put him on the team. And it's sort of added value. Uh, because you can build everything around it. So, as Matt said, he's gonna mash, and he's gonna hit. Um, and you, if you can, if you can build the rest around it, and you should be able to, given that uh, you're not really boxed in, uh, especially since this is outfield, not first base, where there's always sort of a log jam. Uh, that's not something that concerns me. Yeah, he was unbelievable last year. He had a 166 WRC plus uh, with a 690 slugging percentage. I think maybe the most uh, under uh, talked about part of JD Martinez this offseason is probably going to be whether or not he cho- chooses to stay with uh, Arizona if they want to offer him some money because Arizona was really really good for him. He hit like close to 30 home runs with Arizona last year, uh, and they made it to the playoffs. So it is conceivable to me that he would want to stay there. Yeah, I don't think at, they have that kind of money. If they do, like, athletes love Arizona. In the, again, like, theoretically it makes sense. But if they don't have that money, um, they don't have the money. And if he's got Boris, he wants that money. So He wants that cheddar. All right. He, so, um, oh, Joiner, you you want to get in here? Yeah, I was going to say just one more thing on him, uh, but I forgot what it was, so go ahead. Let's move nice. on. All right. So uh, there are a whole bunch of second-tier free agents out on the market. Um, specifically, the Red Sox have been connected to some of the first-base options. Uh, Logan Morrison, uh, potential guy there. Lucas Duda they could be in- involved with. Uh, that's Matt's guy. 
uh, Yonder Alonso, some of these other players, even Mitchie Two Bags could be back with the team. Um, what do you guys think about the second tier free agent options, uh, not only at first base, but elsewhere? Do you think that any of these guys are uh, good options for the Red Sox? They're fine. I'd rather them do something bigger, but I mean, Lucas Duda would be okay. He's more of a platoon guy. You'd have to either put Brentson against lefties at DH and Hanley at first or put Travis at first or something. But, I mean, he's MLB trade rumors has him getting a one-year deal for $6 million, and he's a lot better than that. So if they were to get one of these middle-tier first basemen, he would be the guy. But I would much rather them make a splash. He had 30 home runs last year. Everybody hit 30 home runs last year, though, to be fair. Except if they were on the Red Sox. Except if they were on the Red Sox. Uh, I I think I I agree with Matt that Duda is the best of the bunch, though I generally think that it's pretty much an interchangeable bunch. And I think that sort of is informing Matt's thought that, like, I'd I'd rather move up from it. Um, And, yeah, I agree that Duda is probably the most – attractive option because I feel like with the Red Sox, the the way they're looking at this, as much as you're worrying about roster construction, the Red Sox should be looking at talent. And I feel like Duda has the talent to put up the best numbers out of guy, out of a guy who you're going to be asking to hit. So, uh, and it's $6 million. That's a steal, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I like Duda, too. The the only thing that sucks about Duda is that he's only played 150-plus games once in his career. He does seem to get injured in some capacity every year. And, and like you guys mentioned, he is going to be a platoon guy. Um, so the power is real, but, you know, he's... Well, you also get the Lucas Duda Instagram, which is a thing. I didn't it know was... about that thing, but it makes me more interested. So he, when he was on the Mets, they just the other players on the team would just like ambush him with video. Cause he's sort of aloof and funny in that way that if you, the more you see it, it's more entertaining. And so Curtis Granderson, uh, when he was still on the Mets, uh, and Duda was traded, uh, gave the, the Twitter account to someone on the raise. I, I think it might've been Longoria. I can't remember who, and so now they just ambushed Lucas Duda, and I imagine if he <laughs> came to the Red Sox, it would probably go into the hands of, I don't know, anyone but Dustin Pedroia. Probably um, David Price. I'm yeah, in on that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm in, we're, I'm in on Duda is the long, long story. Short right. story. So now I'm going to ask you guys to make predictions for the offseason. Matt, I'm going to go with you first. What do you think the, the Red Sox actually end up doing? Uh, I didn't know this was going to happen. Uh, Carlos Santana and Tony Watson. Sure. Okay. That's quiet. That would be a very quiet offseason for this team. It's probably not going to happen, but whatever. All right. Uh, Joyner. Yeah, I think, uh, what the, the scenario we just discussed and, and I'm only saying this because. After la- I mean, it's just a sample size of one last offseason. We talked about it, and I said, well, the obvious move is you trade Moncada for sale. 
Um, and that's what happened. So when Matt talked about, oh, what, what if they signed J.D. Martinez? And then as a result, that's when they went to trade JBJ. I'm going to say sign J.D. Martinez, trade JBJ for Belt. That's, that's what I'm going to say. That would be a very nice offseason. I'm going to go in a different direction here. I'm going JB, to go with JBJ and other pieces. Okay, uh, go, go for it. I, I think the Red Sox actually do pull this thing off for Giancarlo Stanton, and I think that <laughs> uh, I think that I think that they do it. Um, I I think my my ultimate would be if they were to trade for Abreu instead, but I do think that uh, Trader Dave gets this thing done and uh, and adds another head to his big game hunting wall. Um, and I'm not sure if I like it. There might be a lot of pain involved in the price, but. Uh, it would be pretty sweet to see uh, Stanton in a Red Sox uniform. I think they'll do that and then then sign one of these uh, first base options or uh, trade for a first baseman. I gotta say it's pretty convincing and uh, just or not com- if not necessarily convincing, um, compelling. Here, here's a here's a question I'll throw out. Let's just assume that the preconditions for a deal are that Devers or Benintendi is involved. And then let's go ahead and assume one more that that means Devers is involved because Benintendi isn't going anywhere. No. Yeah, I don't think so. Hold on. No, forget no. Forget no. Okay. Is, is there someone else on the Marlins that they could throw in that then – further negotiations would be palatable Bohr I don't think I mean I like Bohr but I would want like Yellick and then that would be a whole another chain of events because no, that's well, another that, outfielder but that's, but, that, but that's never going to happen I know but I mean that's what about Bearclaw Bearclaw's awesome yeah, I, he's great but he's I'm not giving up Devers for Stanton, Stanton and you would not for Stanton and no, no, no. It's not a reliever. It's Bearclaw. He's good. He is good, but he hasn't done it long enough. He's coming off an injury. What do you know about re- – oh, wait. Hold on. I hear my. I hear myself now. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, the, those lefty relievers because you've been all, all over the lefty reliever thing. And uh, when I diagnosed what the team needed – uh, again, on Twitter, uh, after the Red Sox bowed out of the postseason this year, I was of the mind that they were going to go after either Mike Miner or Jake McGee. Um, why do you think Tony Watson out of that group? Because I've seen you on Jake McGee as well. So I know that you've been on these lefty relievers for a while. What's what's the separator here for you? Uh, Watson's probably going to be a little cheaper. I don't know. I could see them getting McGee. They're around the same. Miner's probably... A little bit more than they're going to want to spend but Watson McGee I think they could go cheap and get like Brian Densing or Boone Logan or something there's a lot of like just for forgettable guys like that I think Watson he was like one of the most underrated relievers in baseball like a year and a half ago so and he was pretty good with the Dodgers after getting traded I think he's interesting do you guys still anticipate any trades before the rule five draft well it's no. No? Well, not for that reason, at least. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure that there's anybody else who they're dying to uh, protect that they need to get rid of anybody, but it's possible. We're going to well, see. It's too late. The deadline was yesterday. Right. But it's done. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. 
Um, all right. So, Does the rule five have a five minute rule? Sorry. I think I it's just... probably like one minute. Yeah, that's true. Um, I know it's done via conference call. Is it? I think so. Wow, that's old school. The rule five. Rule five is like one of the coolest download things in sports. Um, that uh, like anyone who becomes uh, a made a, a regular major leaguer who's a rule five player has every reason to just say fuck you to their former team. It's wonderful. There aren't a lot of them. I. No, there aren't. Yeah. I think Philly Herrera and the Phillies. Was Batista one? Yeah. Okay. He was a um, rule five guy from I think Pittsburgh. I feel like Brantley was one. Or Kluver, somebody on Cleveland was. I don't know. Occasionally, you know what? Wikipedia actually has a pretty good list of uh, Rule 5 guys who... Of course, what does it have? Wikipedia have. Yeah, they have, like, notable Rule 5 guys. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Odebel Herrera is the recent one. Uh, Jose Bautista, Bobby Bonilla, Everett Cabrera. That's a name from the past. Everett Cabrera. Uh, Jason Grilly was one. Josh Hamilton was one. Uh, Darren O'Day, Scott Ponsednik. Um, Johan Santana is probably the most famous one. Yeah, I would say that's probably that's a good one. one. Uh, Dan Ugla, Shane Victorino was one. Um, let me see if there's any more super attractive names on here. Uh, Rutledge. Wei Chung Wang. Remember him? No. No. The first right. player making the major league team from a rookie league in the ML- in MLB history, it says here. Uh, oh my God, I remember that now. Um, fascinating. Willie, so. Willie Tavares. What Ooh. about Willie Tavares? I remember him. Yeah. Big Willie style. All right, so let's get to the Red Sox farm system a little bit here. Uh, the Red Sox uh, sent seven guys to the AFL. Is that is that right? This was seven? Uh, sure. Yeah, I think it was seven. And then um, Owen, I mean, uh, not Owens, uh, Brian Johnson ended up bowing in. Yeah, he didn't go. What was the deal with that, by the way? I don't remember. I don't either. Injury, maybe? I don't know. But the, the story is that the Red Sox um, AFL team this year, which is a combination of a bunch of uh, other teams, it was uh, the Peoria Javelinas, I believe it is. Um, they had Michael Chavis starting for them uh, at third and first this year. He, he played both positions uh, for them, but he actually had a really good uh, AFL. He batted 261, uh, 327, 478. Uh, 805 OPS uh, for him and uh, scouting reports were generally really good uh, coming back on Chavis so his team did win the championship uh, helped out by Ron Acuna who was on that team who's going to be just a ridiculous stud Um, but he was sort of an exit velocity stud throughout the AFL and I thought that was kind of the the most fascinating thing about it because we all knew that Chavis made some strides and that Chavis has always been a little bit of a uh, batting practice hero, but uh, he's now doing this stuff in-game with regularity, and he was able to do it against some really good players in the AFL. So I was wondering, 
Uh, I'll go with you first, Matt. What were your thoughts on his performance in the AFL? Um, I mean, I don't really put a ton of stock into AFL performance. I kind of feel like it was kind of a victory lap for him. He had such a good year. It was nice to see him ended on a high note. Um, as far as the actual performance there, like I said, it's not. I don't think it's a huge deal, but um, just in general, I'm super excited about him, and I'm getting kind of more excited as time goes on. He did a lot better in Double A than I thought he was going to be after making that jump, and uh, I think he's just a reminder that you got to be patient with high school draft prospects. He was a first round pick. It kind of seemed like he was going to bust, and then he just broke out. Um, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do next year. Where do you think he's going to play? Probably first and third. So one of the interesting things about Chavis was that when he broke out last year, we were trying to find a spot for him. And I know I was one of the early suggestors of first base for him. Um, And it seemed like people were pretty sour on that in general because of his height. But the team did play him there in the AFL, and it seemed like he did okay uh, defensively. Do you think that that is ultimately going to be his home with the way that, um, you know, some of the other Red Sox first base prospects, notably Sam Travis, has been performing? No, I think he's probably going to get traded and stay at third or end up as a DH. Um, I think the height is kind of a concern. You just don't really see first base in that short, but doesn't really matter if he's hitting like this he's going to find a spot on some team somewhere so i'm not really worried about the defense right now joiner what do you think about chavis david cassidy died that's what i feel that that's what i think you know who that is he died he's dead um i don't have any thoughts on any of this i'm terrible with prospects uh because i just don't care and I leave it to you guys to tell me what to think. So continue to do that. He's a really fun player on social media as well. I'll throw that out though. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. He discovered he discovered Harry Potter like five, four or five months ago, and was tweeting about it late into the night one night. He thought it, he was like acting like he had just discovered it. Had nobody had ever heard of it. That's called Bill Simmonsing. Uh, let's give him a little more credit than that. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, it's it. The Bill Simmons thing uh, focuses on the negative aspects of it. Uh, the positive aspects of it are, uh, if you do it from time to time, it's interesting. If it's the only thing you do, uh, gets a little exhausting. Speaking of which, Jake, next topic. I just wanted to point out that Michael Chavis is five ten, and that. Carlos Santana is 5'11", and they're listed at the exact same weight. And Carlos Santana is a damn good first baseman. He is. So it can happen. He's probably more of the exception than the rule, but that is a fair point. Yes. All right. So um, examining the Red Sox uh, prospects right now, um, well, I I think before we, we, we look at the prospects, I think it is worth mentioning, and we haven't been on the podcast since uh, a very uh, unfortunate um, and tragic event happened, the passing of uh, the Red Sox fifth-ranked prospect, according to SoxProspects.com, uh, Daniel Flores. He was an international free agent out of Venezuela, 
uh, who the team signed this past July 2nd. Um, he was only 17 years old, and he passed away extremely suddenly uh, due to complications with testicular cancer. Um, so I just wanted to take a second to uh, sort of remember uh, Daniel Flores, the player. Um, he was regarded uh, extremely highly defensively, uh, one of the best players that um, really anybody had scouted uh, defensively at that age. Um, and by all accounts was uh, just as good, if not better, uh, as a person. So it is extremely, extremely uh, sad and tragic that, that he passed away. And it seems like uh, it was just sort of a freak event. Uh, the, the cancer metastasized really, really quickly and, and spread. Uh, so it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot that anybody could have done um, to prevent this. Uh, but it is just really tragic and I wanted to... To, to say that um, before we, we talked about uh, the Red Sox system at all, because we, we do want to get into that, but we want to also give him some respect there. So um, the Red Sox system, though, we wanted to look at that. Um, has Jay Grom and Michael Chavis at the top of it right now. Brian Matta and Tanner Hoke. Uh, are the two guys right after that. And then we have a whole bunch of uh, guys that were a little bit less sure about their roles um, going forward. So, you know, Sam Travis, Josh Ockamy, Cole Brennan, Michael Sharwin, uh, Alex Scherf, Jalen Beeks. We've talked about some of these guys. Uh, overall, I feel like the depth of the system is pretty good right now. But the Red Sox aren't particularly top-heavy, especially with position players the way that they have been. Um, Matt, you're up in uh, Maine, so you get to see the AA team quite a bit. What's your take on the current state of the system? Um, I think you kind of nailed it when you said they have a lot of depth, but nothing really at the top. Um, I think it really comes down to this is a big year for Groom. Uh, he hasn't really... He's shown these flashes last year, his first full season. Uh, it would be nice to see him stay healthy for most of this year and productive all year. And um, I think Brian Mata is the other really interesting one. He really exploded out of the gate when he first got called up to Greenville last year. Um, he's only 18. If he can kind of stay on that trajectory, it gives them a really solid top three. Plus Tanner Houck, not sure if he ends up. I didn't get to see him in Lowell this year. Not sure if he's a starter or a lever, but he's got that upside. So I think there's a chance that the system's a little better than people think, but there's a ton of variance, and uh, it's a lot a lot less sure than some of the systems in past years. It is encouraging that Jay Groom is doing squats with uh, Chris Sale, though. Yeah. Yeah, they're working out. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It is uh, certainly... Um, not as top-heavy as it used to be, but it'll be exciting to see some of these guys develop. Um, Brian Mata is a really interesting guy because I think that what he did last year really surpassed every every expectation. The guy who I think I'm most excited about following next year, though, is Alex Scherf, uh, who is their fifth rounder this year. Uh, really, really good talent for the fifth round and uh, somebody who I think could dominate and move pretty quickly and um, someone who I could actually see staying as a starter. Do you have any thoughts about Scherf, Matt? Uh, 
not really. I don't know a ton about him. Hey, Jake. Yeah. How does Brian Mata spell Brian? With a Y. Yes, what's up? <laughs> the right way. That was uh, they're, they're all about themselves. They're Brian with an I. I, I ask questions. Why? All right. So with that, I, I feel like uh, the steam has been let out of this I podcast. I do that into this because to give it a uh, good, uh, faithful impression of what's going on at this house. I really wish you would have muted that. But... <laughs> Not going to happen. It's in, we're, an hour, hour, we're an hour in. Anyone who's still listening to this, they're, they're, they bought in. There is <laughs> – there is we are fully showing our offseason rust right now in this podcast but you know that's okay this is this is a rendition one for uh, what is going to be uh, many 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 tries uh, for us this upcoming year uh, again before we close out tonight i just want to uh, reiterate to everybody that the red seat is sticking around we are just switching homes again we are moving to over the monster from bp boston i will be with you um on this podcast as the host uh, Matt Collins will be with us Brian Joyner will be with us and we will continue to bring in very high quality guests as well um, and uh, hopefully we will stay in the exact same place so please follow me on Twitter at, at @devjake for any future updates uh, with the red seat you can also follow Matt on Twitter at, at @mattrycollins and you can also follow Brian Joyner on Twitter at, at Brian Joyner, Brian with a Y, because that's the right way to spell it, according to him. Um, and uh, we will be with you periodically throughout the offseason. I, I don't think we've decided, guys, how often we're going to be doing this. And it might be a little bit till we get our next one out um, as we sort through the transition. Uh, but we will certainly be with you as news breaks um, and continue to stay with us there. And for all of our listeners out there, we really do appreciate uh, all of you guys subscribing to us and tuning in and uh, helping this podcast continue to grow. We were able to grow significantly from our first season to our second season, and hopefully moving the podcast uh, can help our growth even more in the future. So, um, guys, I'm really excited for uh, the future of the Red Seat. Absolutely. I prefer the Reds eat podcast but until you want to talk about joey Votto's lunches this this will work i was just picturing pete rose stuffing his face with those peppers that have prosciutto inside of them jesus no. yeah <laughs> wow that got raw all right happy let's thanksgiving everyone yes yeah all right take care guys It's time for some straight talk. It's tax refund time, hallelujah. What are you going to do with all that glorious extra cash? A new drone? No, it'll end up in the tree. Here's a better plan. Try Straight Talk Wireless and get 25 gigs of high-speed data for just 45 bucks a month. All on America's best 4G LTE networks. Plus, save up to $200 on a Samsung Galaxy S9 with in-store activation. Straight Talk Wireless, only at Walmart. See terms at straighttalk.com.